This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Friday, the 9th of February. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Now, in half an hour, we're going to be focusing on U.S. regional banks and we'll discuss whether the woes at the New York Community Bank are reminiscent of what happened last year with Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. But uh, let's recap, as always, how global markets closed overnight. Was it S&P 500 or S&P 5000? Because it really nearly breached that 5000 mark, close at 4987 up 0.1%. US markets all doing very well. The Dow was up 0.1%, NASDAQ up 0.2%. Very different picture, though, in Asia. The Nikkei was up 2.1%, Hang Seng down 1.3%, Shanghai Composite up 1.3%, but Singapore's STI down 0.4%, and back home, FBM KLCI flat like a parata, down 0.0. <laughs> It's okay if it's tasty and it's flaky, but I'm not even sure it's those two things. Don't think so. Just full of ghee. Anyways, for more insights on where international markets are heading, we have on the line with us Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited in Chicago. Tim, good morning. Always good to have you. So, U.S. equities... How are they going to perform next week? They've been ending this week, uh, you know, on the, on track for record gains. Uh, do you think the bullish sentiment will continue? Um, you know, it's you know, record highs, so uh, it's never a good idea to sell new highs in, in a market. But uh, you know, it, it's it's strong. I mean, earnings have been the economy's been good. The earnings have exceeded. I do think that the uh, I still think the rate environment and the inflation environment may cause a little rethink here. Uh, and I would probably say we're going to get some important inflation data next week. And, you know, that could if it, if it really causes some sort of spark, some sort of riot in the bond market, which I think is possible, then you can see some turn. But the only thing I would say is it's extremely overbought and the uh, leadership is still narrow again. So but that's if, a concern. But if you unpack the S&P 500 sectorally, communication services has managed to outperform Infotech year to date. Why has this particular sector been really offering higher than expected returns? You know, I think it's a lot like the uh, like the utility grid and everything. There's a lot of re- rewiring, um, and I think a lot more, um, you know, with the phones, cell phones, and different types of uh, technology coming on board, I think has really sparked a lot in that sector. There's a lot of demand, a lot of equipment spending, a lot of uh, CapEx spending. So I think you're seeing some benefits. Companies in that space are seeing a lot of benefits in uh, nominal um, uh, revenue. So, Tim, you said that the market looks overbought. So what should we do then? You know, I mean, I've been saying that for some time. <laughs> so, But, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there are some areas that, uh, you know, especially like EM sovereign debt is as cheap as it's ever been. I think some EM markets uh, outside of China still, I think, are, are attractive. And, you know, sometimes the value plays uh, they take a while to materialize, and this is one of those times, I think. I just find it very difficult, even given the strength and the balance sheets and the cash flow of some of these behemoths, that uh, you know that you're going to really have a long-term investment paying this type of uh, multiple to sales and this type of uh, valuation level. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a real tough pill uh, to swallow. Having said that, I would say a company like Amazon who's really focusing for the first time ever on free cash flow is kind of exciting. 
and may be the cheapest of the big of the of Mag Seven. But uh, you know, again, it's 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 a uh, it's uh, to me bubble like. So you know, when does it stop? I mean, George Soros once said, "Show me a bubble and I'll buy it," and I think that's what's happening. So does this mean that for the U.S. markets, because the S&P 500 is close to 5,000, we really need to take a bottom-up approach? Um, I, you know, 5,000 is a number, and mm. usually when you get to a number, you get a reaction. But to me, 5,000 doesn't really mean that much. In fact, if it closes above it, I mean, I've seen a lot of year-end projections like 5,200. Ed Yardini, who's probably been the best there is, or has been in the past several years or so, you know, it's 5,400. So I'm not saying where it can go, but what I'd be looking for is some weakness or to take out something like our January low. Um, some event like that would tell me a top is in, and that's when I think you got to really get to work. Otherwise, I think that you could still look at some cheap uh, hedging options uh, that you could do for longer term. I'm not saying short dated, by the way. I'm saying longer dated type options. But, you know, it's tough to say, but I think you got to really be mindful of what you're buying and hey, momentum rules the day, I guess, you know. Can I ask you about bonds, uh, Tim? Because the recent sell-off in bonds drove 10-year yields higher this month. So what should investors holding U.S. Treasuries expect to see in terms of performance? Are they better off holding or folding? I think the biggest off, the biggest place the market is offsides is in the interest rate market. And, you know, supply considerations, I think a lot of movement, especially from foreign buyers, uh, moving away from the dollar in different ways, uh, you know, that uh, I don't know that you're going to see the recycling into dollars as much. But what I will say for the bond market, let's even say the 10-year, throughout all time, the average yield in the 10-year note is like 4.65%. So I, I think you're definitely going to head back that way. I'm certainly not one of those folks that is trying to grab for duration, especially given the type of supply. There's $10 trillion worth of Treasury is going to be issued this year, if you can imagine that. So I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I think that that could be where the real uh, shock comes to the market, could be in the Treasury market. And especially as you're seeing foreigners, namely, you know, China and not so much Japan yet, but you're seeing a lot of countries that don't really want to um, recycle in the U.S. That's one of the reasons why I like EM sovereign debt, because I think that's where you're going to see a lot of flow. And Tim, there are increasing signs that Japan's decade-long negative rate policy will come to an end this year. How might an investor utilize option-based strategies to leverage of this shift in monetary policy? Well, my my favorite view is the uh, well. I get you got to be careful with dollar yen, but I think euro yen is probably the place. I think is the way to play that. Uh, if you can get some exposure to long yen, short euro. Now, the, the um, BOJ is going to do something, but I don't think they're going to have a sustain. They're going to be the only, they're going to be definitely raising rates, but probably one time and they'll sit tight. They're going to be very, very slow about it. Uh, but I do believe that the yen is so undervalued. And it was a deflationary environment they got out of. One of the tools they used to get out of it, not their zero interest rate. It was the de devaluing of the yen, I think, has really helped a lot. So I do think that's one way to play it. I would do the euro yen just because, especially if my rate, you know, I don't think the Fed's going to cut like the market thinks. So I, I would say the odds are still tilting towards at least a stable dollar right now. So I think euro yen is how I would play that. Tim, thanks as always for the chat. That was Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited in Chicago, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Okay, looks like the markets are overbought, so be caveat emptor.
But he threw in one nugget. He likes Amazon because for the first time, uh, they're generating very strong free cash flow. Mm. Mm. Probably because of the advertising revenue growth happening there. Exactly. No, so none of this like, oh, let's go and experiment with this and experiment with that. Like that, EVs. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us turn our attention to some of the earnings reports that we're taking a look at this morning. We've got news coming from Pinterest. Pinterest shares fell by more than 14% in extended trading after reporting fourth quarter revenue, as well as a forecast for the first quarter that missed analysts estimate. Sales rose by 12% on year to $981 million. This was about $10 million lower than what was expected. Uh, and this is due to tough competition from large social media players, which have become the go-to platform for advertisers. Monthly active users increased by 11% to $498 million in the fourth quarter. Global average revenue per user was $2, less than the estimated $2.05. So, Shani, are you using your Pinterest account to get us Chinese New Year recipes? No, not at all. I'm not a Pinterest fan, I have to confess. I I hardly Mm. ever use it. So, maybe I'm just the wrong demographic. Oops. But does the street like its name? Are they disappointed? Bear in mind, this all follows on the back of the heels of Snap, which also did very badly. Uh, the answer is 28 buys, 11 holes, hmm. zero sells. Consensus target price for this stock, not far from current share price, $42.70. The question is, are these platforms actually still relevant? Are people approaching or curating what they want to see differently? Interestingly, there's this whole conversation where the social networks are becoming less social, right, in this whole point. But I think the reason why there's a bit more of a positive upside to Pinterest was that there's been this announcement that they're actually doing some collaboration on a third-party app integration with Google. So perhaps that's why there's a bit more upside here for Pinterest. All right, something to keep an eye on there. Let's turn our attention to another company, one that's been doing gangbusters, really, and that's Cloudflare, because they saw their shares rise by 21% after issuing results and guidance that were more robust than what analysts had projected. Revenue rose by around 32% on year to $362 million, while net loss was narrowed uh, from $46 million to $28 million. Still a loss-making company, but... uh, Definitely narrower than what was before. That's right. Adjusted earnings per share came in at 15 cents, higher than the expected 12 cents. During the quarter, Cloudfare signed its largest new customer deal and biggest renewal to date during the quarter, resulting in the highest annual contract value in corporate history. So I think this is where it's very interesting. There's also some shift in leadership there. Former CEO of Alteryx, Mark Anderson, is going to join Cloudfare as president, replacing Mark Borodisky. Okay, so this stock actually has kind of like neutral, if you ask me, because 60 buys, 14 holes, just 6 sells, consensus target price 81 US dollars and 41 cents. It closed actually even above this target price at 90 US dollars and 31 cents. I think the market either doesn't quite believe management or thinks that perhaps upside is limited. The stock is already up 9% on a year-to-date basis and if I look at valuations, right, uh, we're talking about only 153 times, guys. Only. <laughs> well, I think we can squeeze in one more earnings report and that's coming from Expedia. Expedia, actually not an earnings report, but it is due to um, a CEO change. Uh, I think Arian Gorin uh, will be replacing Peter Kern. Peter Kern has been in the role of CEO since 2020. Uh, Arian Gorin, she's been an executive at Expedia since 2013. It is results, actually. Uh, there were some numbers coming out and the stock price actually tumbled 16% in extended trading after this online travel agency reported gross bookings for the fourth quarter, missing the average analyst estimates. So, um, Pierce, Airbnb, TripAdvisor, booking holidays 
are also trading lower post-market as a result of this. Are we travelling less? Is this the end of revenge travel? It's 2024 now that shift away, right? That everything goes back to normal. So this is all cal- recalibrating back to pre-pandemic levels. I think this is the fu- function of the results that we see here. Yeah, market not convinced. 18 by 17 holes, just two cells. Consensus target price for Expedia, 162 US$47. Now, just quickly looking at the price earning valuations. Actually, not expensive at all when I look at it 12 times. So why isn't market a believer? Is this stock also one of those where facing structural decline? Less people use it. Well, we'll keep following this. It's 7.18 in the morning. Oh, we're heading into some messages, but we'll come back to cover more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.